0: Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter 2 is where we're going to be at tonight. Hebrews chapter 2. If you missed out on this morning's message, you can check out the podcast. It'll be uploaded by tomorrow morning. You can listen to uh, that online. Our theme this year, sure and steadfast, we're going to be taking a look at biblical hope over the next eight weeks before we jump into the book of uh, Romans, and so about eight weeks or so before we we get into our study of Romans together, but uh, we take a look at biblical hope and what that means uh, to us and how the hope that we found is found in Jesus Christ, and again, he is sure and steadfast, and I love the song we heard tonight, he will hold me fast. Now, when I can't hold it together, Jesus will hold me together, Uh, I'm thankful for that. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to start in uh, verse number 1 here this evening. Therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which is the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness with both signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. I'm not a big beach guy. You guys know that if, you know, if you've been at Huey Collar for any length of time, you know that I don't really enjoy going to the beach. I don't like sand in my car. I don't like sand behind my ears that I find two days later. Uh, I just don't like it. Not my thing. Not my jam. I'd much rather sit by a pool somewhere. If I had my, uh, my um, opportunity, I would sit in a hot tub somewhere uh, with nobody around to talk to me, nobody to bother me, you know, no kids, no nothing, just chilling uh, in a hot tub. That would be my ideal. Beach, not my thing. Uh, but one of these times uh, I relented and I told my wife that we would go to the beach as a family and so we go to the, the, the beach there in, in Waikiki and So we found a place, and we put all of our stuff out, and so you put all of your your valuable belongings on the beach, and then you place a a beach towel over them, because if you put a beach towel over them, it's like it's invisible to anybody that wants to steal it, right? Because you feel like a sense of security if you put a beach towel over your wallet and your keys, right? I don't know how that works, but it does. Uh, But anyways, we uh, we get on the water, and so we kind of had marked off where uh, we were at based on uh, basically the, the gate of the swimming pool that came out of the hotel right in front of that was our stuff. And so uh, we get out there, we're playing, and I'm throwing the kids, we're having chicken fights and, and, and picking kids up and throwing them and swimming around and looking for shells and with our, our toes and stuff like that. And I look up, and all of our stuff's gone. And I was just like, oh, and my heart sank. And I told Angela, hey, we got to get back in. All of our stuff is gone. And she was like, are you sure? I was like, I'm totally sure. And she was like, oh, man. And so we start going back in, and I was just like, wait a minute. The gate of the swimming pool has gone, too. Like, the whole hotel is, like, missing. And, like, they didn't just take our stuff. They, like, took the hotel's swimming pool. And then I realized what happened is we'd been out in the water for 30, 45 minutes, and the swimming pool of the hotel was no longer directly in front of us. It was about 75 yards down from where we were at. Oh, our stuff is hopefully still there, but I couldn't see it. That's for sure. And so then we began to basically get out and then walk down the beach and believe it or not, all of our stuff was still there, right where we left it. But what happened? What happened was we lost perspective because we began to drift. And tonight I'm going to talk to you about the danger of the drift. If you're not careful in your Christian life, you think, hey, everything's okay, you'll get to playing around and having fun, only to realize later, hey, I'm a little bit off course of where I should be. And just know this, any Christian that has ever gotten involved in grievous sin any Christian who's ever turned their back on God, any Christian who has ever gotten involved in things that they shouldn't have, it didn't happen overnight, I guarantee you that. There was a drift somewhere. You cannot read a news feed anywhere in the world, any week of the world, without seeing some pastor who got involved in some inappropriate relationship or uh, took money from a church that he shouldn't have or uh, began to do things that he shouldn't have done. And every time I read one of those, First of all, it hurts my heart because the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, just like Paul said about the Romans. People look at that and they say, oh, Christians, you know, a bunch of hypocrites, can't even follow their own rules. It it hurts my heart for that reason. But secondly, I think to myself, how long has this been going on? Because it didn't just happen last week. At some point along the way, someone began to drift and began to make excuses along the way for their own sinful condition and then one day woke up and got caught. Sin is never one of those things that we fall into. It's, what, again, one of the pet peeves that I have is when people say, oh, yeah, I just fell into sin. You didn't fall into sin. You went looking for sin. And so when we find ourselves out looking for sin, generally there is somewhere along the way that God gave us an opportunity to stop, to put the brakes on, to knock it off. And we just decided to plow forward. But drifting is is difficult because we don't even know that we're not heading the right direction. We're just kind of on cruise control. Let me just tell you this as a Christian, we can never put our Christian walk on autopilot. It doesn't work that way. Uh, I'll just get up and read my Bible and pray tomorrow and everything will be fine. It will not be fine. You have to actively pursue Christ because your flesh is strong. When it comes down to drifting, drifting doesn't happen to rebellion. It happens due to carelessness. You see, it's one thing for somebody to say, hey, I know what the Bible says. I'm just going to do my own thing. It's one thing for somebody to say, hey, I know this is a sin, but I guess God forgives sin and it'll be okay anyways, which it never is. Hey, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I just deserve to do what I want to do. That's one thing. That's just flat out rebellion. Drifting is different because drifting isn't about rebellion. Drifting is about carelessness, we drift when we say things like, ah, I don't really have time to read the Bible this morning. I'm super busy right now. Drifting takes place when I say, ah, I can't really attend church that much because I got a lot of stuff going on right now. Ah, uh, I just don't have the bandwidth to give to a small group this week because I just this is just a really busy period of my life right now. Drifting takes place just by flat-out carelessness. That's problematic because... As a pastor, I continually ask you to guard yourself against sinfulness, and we should. We have to guard against sinfulness, but we also have to guard against negligence as well. You see, we think to ourselves many times as Christians, as long as we're not committing sin, that we're okay. But we need to think about the things that God's told us to do that we are omitting from our life. Hey, look, when you don't put God first in your life, that's a sin, If we're commanded to seek first the kingdom of God and we don't, that's a sin. And so while we look at our lives and go, well, at least I'm not cussing or drinking or smoking or doing drugs or I'm not doing these other things. I guess I'm doing okay. Wait a minute. Are you doing the things that you're supposed to be doing? And so we have to look at our lives in totality. How is my walk with God? How is my relationship with God? How is my love for the gospel? How is my love for my unsaved neighbor who needs to hear the gospel? How often do I think about spiritual things? Does the way that I spend my time honor the Lord? All these are questions that we have to ask ourselves if we're gonna guard against negligence because otherwise we'll begin to drift. If you take a look at verse number one in our passage, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That phrase, let them slip, get this, it's a nautical term. It means to drift off course. It means you have a path that you are on, and you over time no longer are headed the same direction. And it says we need to take really close attention Pay close attention, take heed of the things that we've heard, lest at any time we let them slip. And friend, when you let your Christian walk, your desire for God's presence in your life slip, you put yourself in a very, very dangerous position. And so as we look at the year ahead and making sure that we stay on, on target, making sure that we stay connected with Jesus, we need to make sure that we are aware of our heart's willingness to just continue to drift away farther and farther and farther. We sing a song sometimes that says the phrase, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Because our heart wants to wonder, our heart wants to do its own thing. Our heart begins to make excuses for the way that we live, and we need to guard against that. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 9. Only take heed of thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Hey, take heed of yourself and keep your soul. Protect your soul diligently. Joshua chapter 23, verse number 11. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Here's the thing. If the only person that knows what your relationship with God is like, you and God. You can tell me a lot of stuff, but I don't know that necessarily to be true. I've had guys before tell me, "Hey, my marriage is great, you know our, our marriage is solid, my walk with the Lord is good, and you know no sin in my life that I, that, I, that I know of that isn't confessed, and everything's right between me and God. I love the Lord only to find out three days later that they're looking at pornography and have been for decades. I don't really know what your walk with God is, but you do. I don't know what areas of your life right now are lacking, but you do. And this is a time at the beginning of a new year to kind of, t- kind of tighten up the things that are a little bit loose. Some areas where we've given ourselves a little bit too much latitude or maybe leaned on God's grace on purpose. This is a time to take heed unto yourself and to keep your soul diligently. It's time for a tune-up. And again, as you become a stronger Christian, our church gets stronger. As you become stronger in your faith, our church gets stronger. As you love the Lord more, our church gets stronger. But the opposite is also true. The more that you're involved in sin, the weaker that our church gets. The more that you have no desire for the things of God, the weaker that our church becomes we have some resources. I was talking with Trey this afternoon, and I told Trey, I said, man, if our church would just read the Bible and obey it and use 25% of the resources that we're putting out tonight, I said, you could not contain the things that God would do in our church. And he said, well, I'd be content if people just read the Bible. Yeah, me too. But I'm just, like, wishing big right here, right? I get it. But here's the thing. What would that mean for our church And 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 I I can't stand it when pastors say, "Well, think of all the buildings that we could build. Think of all the programs that we can start." I'm not really interested in building buildings or starting programs. I'm thinking to myself, "What would it do for our families? What would it do for our community? What would it do for the people that we know that don't know Jesus? What would it do for the cause of Christ? What would it do for the kingdom around the world?" What would happen if you and I really took our walk seriously with God this year and and had a great burning desire to know Jesus like we've never known him before? That our kids would see a change in the way that we live our life. That our families would be different. Our marriages, our home, our workplace would be different because of our commitment to keep ourselves diligently. You see, it's really easy to point the problem, point the finger at somebody else and make sure that it's their problem. But then the question we always have to ask ourselves is, what's wrong with me? And, And friend, if you ever get to the point where you're like, I think everything's right with me. I don't know if anything is wrong. Then pray as the psalmist did. Lord, would you search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me? Would you show me the area that I need to grow the most in? Because I really want to be more like Jesus. Drifting takes place when we make small concessions along the way. Verse number two in our passage, Hebrews chapter two, verse number two, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a recompense of reward. You see, it comes down to we just have to obey the Bible. And and sometimes, again, we just try to make small concessions along the way. Well, I won't read my Bible today because I'm super busy. I'll only read one verse because i got too much stuff going on. I just don't feel like it today. Let me just tell you this. I'm going to be honest, just as a pastor with you. If I only read the Bible when I felt like it, I might get one or two days a weekend. Honest. But there's never been a time that I've cracked God's word that I sat down with it that after I was done, I think to myself, that was a waste of time. I'm always thankful for it. And so what's the idea? The idea is just doing the right thing because it's the right thing. But we make small concessions like, oh, I'll do it later, or I'll work on that later, or this sin, I've struggled with this sin for, for 10 years, and I'll just continue to struggle with it, or it's not that big of a deal, or everybody else does it, or if this is the only sin that I'm dealing with, I mean, I'm, I'm actually doing a pretty decent job. And we begin to make small concessions along the way, and we begin to make excuses for our sin. We begin to call it things like shortcomings, bad habits. Or here's a word that's really popular in a lot of churches today. This is my brokenness. <laughs> that's a cute way of putting it. God calls it sin. Brokenness sounds like beautiful, right? Like we can put the pieces back together. And No, it's sin. Call it sin. You don't have bad habits. You're a sinner. You don't struggle with this one thing. It's a sin that has overtaken you and overwhelmed you. And again, we just have to be honest with ourselves. But you say, well, it's, yeah, is it a sin? Yeah, but I mean like on the list of big sins, is it on the big sin? I'm not really sure if it is or not. Would you show me the list of big sins? I'd like to see that. Could you turn to that passage in Scripture where it talks about big sins? I'd like to see that. Not there. You know why? Because James says that all of our sin makes us guilty before God. If he may offend at one point, he's guilty of all of it. Your sin, regardless of how small you might think it is, put our Savior to death. That's a big deal. And so we begin to drift when we begin to make small excuses. Angela and I, when we first got married, we were not walking with Jesus the way that we should. And we went to church depending on what we did on Saturday night. If We stayed out too late, stayed up too late. Oh, we'll, we'll go next week. There wasn't any like, hey, we'll watch it online. Right? At last, let me just... <laughs> I love you, and so I'm going to talk to you, just man to man, man to woman tonight. Please don't ever use I'm going to watch it online as, a, as an excuse for being in God's house with God's people. Amen. It's just not the same. You can't sit and eat pancakes with your phone propped up on the side of your coffee cup and call that church. You just can't. And I'll I'll, I'll fight you on that. I'm going to fight. And we'll fight. Not in a physical way, but if you want to argue about it. <laughs> I said something. Do you ever say something like in a conversation, and then the conversation moves on, and then, like, two minutes later, you think to yourself, I probably shouldn't have said that. But then it's too late to go back and clean up the mess that you made. I did that this morning. I said something about, you know, I'd like to find the person that did that and slap them. And then, like, two minutes later, I realized, I don't want to slap anybody. I just I'm, made me frustrated. But then I didn't want to, like, stop my message because I was actually moved on already and say, hey, by the way, I didn't really mean that, that I was going to slap somebody. I was just really frustrated. So, uh, anyways, um, I don't truly want to... <laughs> I'm not challenging anyone to a fight, okay? <laughs> Be clear with that. I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you, don't ever use like, I can watch online as an excuse for not being in church. Now, are there extenuating circumstances that keeps us from being in God's house? Sure, I get that. But don't ever say like, mm, parking's probably bad today, so I think I'll watch online. No, that's not church. That's not what Christ died for, okay? And anybody who tries to, to replace it with that just doesn't understand the Bible, so, again, is it a convenient thing if we have to quarantine or if we're uh, off island or if we uh, tried to get, up, get there and we just couldn't make it or something? Sure. Okay? But don't make it a habit. Somebody asked, you know, are we going to have online small groups this week, this, this year? <laughs> no. Just <laughs> not. Why? Because every time that small groups of Christians have gathered since the book of Acts, They've done it in the same room together looking at each other's eyeballs. It's just how it works. And so, again, we went through an extenuating circumstance a couple of years ago. We're not in an extenuating circumstance anymore. We should be together with God's people. But again, when we begin to make concessions, like, hey, I'll just watch online. Hey, I'll I'll text a friend this week. Then we begin to make excuses, and now nobody's looking out for us. Nobody knows what's going on with us. And, And when we don't have accountability that's found in the local body called the church, then we can kind of begin to do our own thing. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. I want to be accountable. I want people to see my face. I want people to see my eyeballs. And look, honestly, in, in the history of Who We Call, I've missed five Sunday mornings in, the, in eight years. And people look like, oh, Pastor, you're really controlling. You should take a break. Th- that's fine. Uh, <laughs> call me what you want. But here's the fact of the matter. You know why I have only missed five services, five Sunday morning services in eight years? You know why? Because I love this church. Of anywhere on planet Earth that I could possibly be on a Sunday morning at 8 a.m. or 10 a.m., it's right here. Like, I don't want to be at Disneyland riding the Matterhorn at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I just don't. That doesn't interest me. Because I love God's people. I love you people. I love this church with every fiber of my being. But when we began to make excuses as far as why the Bible doesn't apply to us or why uh, this isn't for me, then we begin to drift. We have to pay really close attention to what God's saying. Again, if you take a look at verse number one, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. This is why you need to hear Bible preaching. This is why I need to hear Bible preaching. This is why Paul says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because I need to be challenged from God's word. I need it. Look, you're going to hear some things from the pulpit that you don't like because it hurts because you're wrong. Not because I say you're wrong, because the Bible says you're wrong. That's a helpful, that's a healthy thing. We need to be convicted by the word of God, by the spirit of God and go, oh man, I got to change. Oh man, I need to grow. Oh man, I've been living that way, but I don't want to be that way anymore. And we have to pay really close attention to what God is saying Keep your finger in here in Hebrews. We're coming back in just a second, but turn to Proverbs chapter 4, if you would. Proverbs chapter 4. Starting in verse number 1, again, you have Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk the planet. The only exception is Christ, who is God himself. Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived in the history of mankind, is writing a a letter to his boys pouring out everything he knows about life. Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 1, Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also, and he said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. You want to be a better Christian this year? Get wisdom. I want to know God's heart. I want to know what's wise. I want to live wisely. And let me just tell you this, if you truly want to live in wisdom, you need to ask yourself from time to time, and what, is what I am doing foolish? Because foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. We, um, (laughs) We talked about last week how there's a lot of messages sometimes that you hear that, that are preached in church, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, that was good, amen, yeah, keep it, preach it, brother, that's good, when you talk about, you know, uh, the blood, the the book, and the blessed hope, right, and you talk about the Bible, you talk about the blood of Christ, you talk about resurrection, amen, everybody's on board with that, you talk about the grace of Jesus that covers all of us, and amen, that's good, and like, last Sunday night, we start talking about, like, things like gossip, and complaining, and backbiting, and backstabbing, and slandering, and telling lies on people, and it's just, it's like, ugh, that was hard to hear, Yeah. Bible's a tough book sometimes. <laughs> I've said before to, to a couple of, of friends, at Hui Cala Baptist Church, you guys love the Bible. You love to hear preaching. And you guys are a really easy church to, to preach to. But <laughs> there was two messages that I preached in the history of our church on a Sunday morning that I felt people's eyes like cutting through the depths of my soul. <laughs> I preached from the book of Ephesians. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I spent two Sundays and talked about how Christians should not drink alcohol. And let me just tell you this. 50% of the people in the room hated my guts. And it was hard. We got through it, and I said, hey, if you don't like this, next week we're going to talk about hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. You'll be happy. And so, seriously, though, it was was two weeks where I I felt a room full of people that just, just, I hear what you're saying, but I do not agree with what you have to say at all. And when it comes to things like alcohol, I would just ask yourself this question. If you disagree with what the Bible has to say about alcohol, just ask yourself this question. Is it wise for a Christian to drink alcohol? Wise. You cannot convince me that it is the wise thing to do. Do you like it? You might convince me that you like it. Can you handle your alcohol? You might convince me that you can handle your alcohol. But you will never, in 10 million years, ever convince me that it is wise for a Christian to do those types of things. And again, I got, I got a dozen Bible verses to back that up. You might say, well, it's just something I like. Okay, you can either be wise or you can do what you want. But you can't do both. Because wisdom requires me to take myself and take a step up. That's what wisdom requires of me. And so we need to make a decision individually. Am I going to follow after wisdom this year? Do I really, does my heart really want wisdom? If so, I can't make excuses for the way that I live my life any longer. I have to do what's right before God. We have to be intentional in our quest for wisdom. This world is full of absolute, utter foolishness. Foolishness. You want wisdom, you're going to have to go looking for it. (laughs) Somebody sent me a picture the the other day of a... uh, It's like a Tupperware plastic container that like folds over itself and snaps in the shape of a banana. And it's for carrying a banana in your lunch. Like, wow. I wish God had been smart enough to like wrap bananas in like a biodegradable packaging (laughs) that like could be taken away and it would just like automatically like go away. But no, let me buy a $4 gadget to put my uh, Tupperware and a banana in there. It's just like who thinks of this stuff you that's foolishness absolutely but just know that's just a a funny little example of the foolishness that the world pushes down your throat every single day i was talking to a young lady this past week who godly woman that loves jesus and her and her boyfriend are talking about marriage and she said pastor i'm just struggling because I don't feel like our world today values a woman who really just wants to stay home and love her family and raise kids to love Jesus. No, they don't. And they never will. But God says that's highly valued over rubies and fine gold. That's what God says. And so the question is, who do you want to value what you do? And she was like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Here's a person who's going to a college, who's going to a school, who's being pushed down their throat. Be smart, get good grades, <laughs> find some job that's going to pay off your $100,000 in student loans. That ought to be against the law. Another sermon, another day. <laughs> and then what? Do this job so that maybe one day you could be successful and maybe people would value you. Or you can do something that you say, hey, I'm going to do this because God values you and I don't really give a rip what anybody else thinks. But that type of wisdom, you got to go looking for it because you're bombarded by foolishness in this world. And so we have to come back to, I want to get wisdom. Good, look for it and you will find it. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Paul tells the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5, 15, see that you need to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectly means like head on a swivel, looking at everything that's around, checking everything that's going on, so that you can walk as wise, not as fools. You want wisdom? You're going to have to look for it. And God be <laughs> like, hmm, where could one find a book full of wisdom? Gee, I wonder. God's given it to us in His Word. So when we hear God's Word, again, we took a look at last week how it's not enough. We have to be intentional in our commitment to obedience. If you haven't picked up yet on the phraseology and the language that we're using here, intentionality is the opposite of drifting. Intentionality says, I know where I'm going. I've charted a course, and I know what it's going to take to get from point A to point B, and I'm willing to commit to doing it. That's intentionality. Drifting is like, hey, I'm just going to try to do better tomorrow, and hopefully I'll be okay. That doesn't work when it comes to the Christian life, because again, take heed of the things that you've heard, lest they slip. Take heed. Pay attention to it. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 2, if you would. So, when it comes down to keeping ourselves from drifting, Jesus Christ is the anchor that keeps us from drifting. Verse number three, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Verse three, so how will we be saved if we neglect The salvation provided by Jesus? We won't. But it talks about neglecting a great salvation. It's not just talking about the day that you accepted Christ as Savior, though that's definitely applicable here. It's talking about going back to the truth of the gospel when we sin. When we begin to drift, how can we get back if we neglect so great a salvation? You can't. If you're drowning and somebody throws you a life preserver and you're like, oh no, I'll wait for the next one. There is no next one. Okay, I guess I'll just work it out on my own. There's nobody coming to save you. If you've begun to drift and you've begun to seek out sin, there's nobody coming to save you other than Jesus. But the good news is, he's all that you need. There's nobody that's going to keep you on track, on target, apart from Jesus. He's our anchor that holds in times of difficulty. He's a sure and steadfast anchor connected to the solid rock that's going to keep us close to Him until we can come into the harbor of God's rest. Let's go look at that from Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. How do we do that? We stay connected to Jesus. And let me just tell you this. If you are like me and you've ever uttered the phrase, I just don't have time to spend with the Lord today, then you are too busy. But generally when I say those statements, it's not that I don't really have time. It's just that it's not a, somebody help me with the word, priority. It's not a priority. You know why? Because I got time for other things. Now, have there been days where I've woken up and from the time I woke up, I I spent on a, you know, 18-hour shift and gone to bed immediately afterwards? Been there, done that, didn't even get a T-shirt for it. I get it. But that's not my normal life, and it's probably not yours either. And the times that we say I'm too busy to spend time with the Lord, it's just because it's just not a priority for us. It's not a big deal. And again, we live in a society today where resources to walk with Jesus are so easy to get. When I when I was a kid, um, this evangelist came through our church, and he had a bunch of books and things like they put on the back table, and um, my parents bought. Uh, from this traveling guy who had a bunch of stuff that was his and a bunch of stuff that, was up that he bought on from a catalog somewhere or something. I was going to say online, but it was way before online. And my parents bought a copy of the audio Bible cassette. And it was like like big plastic containers with like tons of cassettes in it. And it was the Bible read by James Earl Jones on tape. And i forget what it was it was something astronomical like 200 and something dollars my parents bought it and like we weren't rich but they were like to be able to hear the bible read by the voice of darth vader like it's just like (laughs) that's like (laughs) for those of you that didn't know james earl jones has a really thick rich voice uh and he also voiced darth vader but um but, like, I remember, like, my parents got that and you listened, we listened to it sometimes in the car. And it's just like, wow. We're, like, driving down the road listening to the Bible. <laughs> like, wow. So futuristic in 1983, you know? Look, you can download the Uversion app on your phone in less than 45 seconds and hit play. And it's going to read the Bible to you. How much does it cost you? Zero dollars. How long does it take of your time? Less than 60 seconds. What's your excuse? You don't have time to sit down and crack the Bible and look at it with your own eyeballs. Have it read to you. I haven't checked, but you probably have an Alexa in your house that can read the Bible to you. Just guessing. It's so easy. But again, we make excuses because it's just not a priority for us. You want to you keep from drifting. You want to stay on target. You want to stay on point. You want to continue to walk with Jesus. Stay connected to Jesus. And one of the ways we do that through our Bible reading, through prayer time, through confession of our sin and repentance before God, from surrounding ourselves with other Christians that are going the same direction that we are, to finding somebody who's going to keep us accountable and hold our feet to the fire when necessary, to be able to be a part of a group of people who are seeing the gospel go forward and joining them together in the work that Jesus has given us to do. That's how we stay connected to Jesus. It's more than just reading your Bible every day. It's about an intentional effort to be closer to the heart of God through Christ Himself. Paul tells Timothy in First Timothy chapter four, verse one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's a hard verse to read. In the latter times, some will fall away from the faith. The word, that the Greek word that there is apostasia, where we get our word apostasy from. Some people have just quit on the faith altogether. They don't believe anymore. It's a hard verse to read because when I think back at the eight years of Hui Call, I think of so many people who've just quit on Jesus. It hurts my heart. And I'm not foolish enough to think that there's not somebody in this room tonight that, 12 months from now, will not have quit on Jesus. It's not. Well, this is a committed group of Hui Call. We came on a Sunday night forward Sunday. I get it, I get it, I really do. (laughs) Let me just tell you, there's people more committed than you that have put on Jesus before. I've seen it, it hurts. But I've never in the history of ever known somebody to quit on Jesus overnight. Ever. It started with small decisions along the way. They stopped. (laughs) For me as a pastor, I can see it coming 10 miles away and I'm always, every time, powerless to stop it. When people who used to be ultra-committed to the things of God no longer are committed to the things of God, I begin to get worried. Somebody who used to go on Saturday outreach doesn't go on outreach anymore, doesn't share their faith any longer. Somebody who used to be a part of a small group isn't attending small group anymore. Somebody who used to give generously, hasn't given in six months. They used to come on Sunday nights, they don't come on Sunday nights anymore. You look at that and you go, this is going downhill really quick. And I can see it coming a mile away, but I'm powerless to stop it. Hey, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's good. Hey, we missed you on Sunday nights. Oh, yeah, I know, super busy at work right now. You haven't been a part of your small group in a while. Yeah, I got some projects that are going on, and once it's over, I think I'll be back. It's just like, hmm, I see it coming, and I can't stop it. Because when someone makes a decision to begin making small concessions along the way, and they begin to drift, when you drift so far off course, there's only one place that you can go, and that's leaving the faith altogether. I don't want that for anybody here. And so that's why I want to encourage you, stay connected to Jesus this year and every other year for the rest of your life. Don't make any excuses for your sin. Don't make any excuses for your lack of love for the things of God. Get plugged in, stay plugged in. Not only stay connected to Jesus, but stay yielded to the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, if you've been saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, listen. When he tells you to do something, do it. When he tells you to keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut. When he tells you to knock it off, knock it off. When he tells you to leave a situation or remove yourself, remove yourself quickly. Yield to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and it's always interesting, sometimes people are like, well, when you talk about feeling the Holy Spirit, what does it feel like? No, not, not feeling like that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit says he's going to remind you of the things that Jesus has said. He's going to guide you into truth. He's going to guide you away from error. And he's going to convict your heart of sin. So it's not a matter of like, ooh, I want to feel the Holy Spirit wash over me. That's just weird talk, okay? The Holy Spirit tells you, hey, what you're doing's wrong because the Bible says X. Hey... You should be doing this, not doing that. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you. Stay yielded to that. You want to hear that. Because the two things that the Bible tells us that we can do, we can first of all grieve the Holy Spirit, which means to to hurt him, to make him sad. The Holy Spirit, when we continually sin against God, the Spirit inside of us is grieved. It's just like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. Have you ever been in a restaurant before with somebody who has too much mouth uh, for their own good? And maybe they're making a scene or talking really loud or treating people unkindly, and you're just sitting in your seat cowering going like, I'm so not with this person right now. Have you ever done that before? I have. It's just like really uncomfortable, awkward to be around. I think many times the Holy Spirit feels like that inside of us. That as we begin to dabble in sin and play around with the sin, the Holy Spirit's just like, ooh, yeah, mm, I'm not, I, I don't want to be a part of this. Grieving the Spirit of God. The other thing the Bible says we can do, which is ultra dangerous, and l- let me just tell you, when you get to this place, I hope that I can find you and just throw red flags all over the place and cause you to stop, is to quench the Spirit of God. To quench the Spirit of God basically means if you had a hearing aid with the Holy Spirit in your ear, you just reach up and just turn it off. And the scary part about quenching the Spirit of God is you can continue to sin against God and you don't even feel bad about it. Yes, yeah, so what I did that, what's the big deal? Yes, yeah, so what? I said that to my wife. She deserves it. Yeah, so what? I look at pornography. What's, what's the big deal? Everybody does. Yes, yeah, so what? I haven't been to church in six weeks. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. What's your problem? Mm. Because when someone gets to that point, they can continue to sin against God and not even feel badly about it. And the danger with that is that there's nothing to stop you. There's no safety mechanism that kicks in that keeps you from absolutely wrecking the rest of your life. Nothing, because you, you turned off the one safety mechanism that God gave you, the Holy Spirit. And you just continue to sin against the grace of God and you don't even care. It's a scary place to be. I've seen it happen and it's just ugly. And you might say, Pastor, I've been there, or maybe, Pastor, I'm there right now. Let me just tell you. It's easy to fix. And if you ever find yourself there, you know someone that you find there. Here's what you do. You confess your sin and repent of it. And you beg God to allow His Spirit to speak to you again. And how does the Spirit speak? It speaks through the Word of God. And here's the great news. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fix it. It's easy and then run back to the Word of God, and allow the Spirit of God to change your heart, and you'll feel your spirit come alive again. And now you'll begin to have that bad taste in your mouth when you sin against God. You'll begin to feel unsettled when you sin against God. That's a healthy place to be. So let me ask you this question in closing tonight. You feel like you're on track. Where do we want to be? What's the goal? The goal is Christ-likeness. when Paul talks to the Church at Philippi about pressing towards the mark or the prize of the high calling that's found in Christ Jesus. That goal, that prize that we're running for is being like Jesus. That's the goal. That's where this thing's headed. Are you on track? Or have you taken a little bit of a detour? Or are you kind of hoping at the end you'll get a chance to fix things before it's all over? I heard a story one time of a lady that, I, I, her name escapes me at the, at the moment, but she basically cheated in the Boston Marathon. And she started running the first couple of miles of it, then she jumped on a bus across town and then ran across the, the finish line and basically like set a record. You should, I forget her name, it happened I mean, 30 plus years ago. And basically, believe it or not, she got found out. Big shocker. Well, I could have told you that. Be sure your sin will always find you out but here's the thing. I think many people think of the Christian life like that. (sighs) Running the race is hard. That's long. Walking with Jesus for like the next three or four decades, whoo, how exhausting. I think what I'll do is I'll dabble in the world for a while and then when I get older, that's when I'll get it together. Maybe when I get married or maybe when I have kids or maybe when I have grandkids. I really want to set a good example then and then I'll get it together then. You don't get the opportunity to figure out when you can get it back on track. You might get off track and never come back again. And let me just tell you this for every person who gets off track that does come back, it's only the grace of God that brings them back. So you don't get that opportunity. If you know tonight that you're off track, get on track tonight. There's no time to waste. And I'll go so far as to say this because I love you and I love this church. If you choose to continue to stay off track and continue to pursue a lifestyle of sin or a life of sin, you're only hurting your church family. I say, well, fine. I'll, I'll just leave and go to a different church. You're a cancer to every church that you go to. Well, that's not very nice. Just the Bible. Fix it. Make it right. Why would you want to sin against the God who's forgiven your sin. Why? It's like Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Why shall we that are dead to, song, dead to sin live any longer there? And you don't need to do that. Are you on track tonight? You might say, well, there's some areas I could probably grow. Good. Write those down and work on those this year. When I talk with people, they're like, hey, on a scale of 1 to 10, how's your walk with God right now? Well, there's always some areas that you can grow. Are you working on those? Well, well, no, but I mean like I could, like I was going to, I could. Well, then work on those. I've rarely, rarely met people, when I ask them how their walk with God is, they say, my prayer life is great. I just spend so much time in prayer, and I just love talking to God, and it's just the most fulfilling time of my life. majority of people that I talk to, I struggle to pray. If that's you, fix it this year. I struggle with my Bible reading. If that's you, fix it. I struggle to share my faith. Fix it. I struggle with connecting with other Christians fix it. You can't continue to just hope that you get there. And again, if you're drifting, nobody has ever drifted the right direction before. I just woke up one day and I was just closer to Jesus than I've ever been. (laughs) I don't know how it happened. I mean, I went to church like once a month and didn't read my Bible at all and just like one morning I woke up and it was like, Jesus is right there. It doesn't work that way. And you laugh because you know it's true. It requires intentionality. And so I want to encourage you this year be intentional. I'm going to do everything in my power to help you to be intentional this year and to help you walk with Jesus. We're going to talk about some things in just a moment that I'm going to give you that are going to help you stay on track. But again, the tools are only good if you use them. The goal is only attainable if you truly want to attain it Christ likeness. And so I want to encourage you do that. If you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, there's never been a time where you've been born again. You Tonight is just telling Christians how to stay on track. You need to get in the race, first of all. If there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, you know this, God loves you. Jesus died to pay for your sins, and he's the only hope that you have. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent ask for forgiveness, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ and be saved tonight. You'll have the Spirit of God inside of you and you will live like you've never lived before. For those of us that are Christians that have been saved and born again, let's live this year like we've never lived before as we pursue Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.